0: Okay, gudvach. We're going to do now three sections of Tanya. The Tanya for Sunday, Erev Rosh Hashanah, and the Tanya for Monday and Tuesday, the two days of Rosh Hashanah. So, we will try to do each one a little briefly. They're, of course, all deep. (laughs) All right, what we are up to, Sunday's portion, which if you're looking inside the Tanya, Seemingly, is a continuation of the letter that we've been learning, letter 19. But you see it's sort of set off as if it's a little subsection. So this is actually a different letter that was appended in, actually, in the Tanya, published in Vilna in 1900. They appended this letter of the Alta Rebbe to the previous letter, and seemingly the connection here is, the relevance might be that the previous letter, letter 19, is explaining how only the four lower emotive attributes, victory, glory, foundation, and sovereignty, only these lower four can extend down to a recipient. That is what we said was the heights, of Moses' apprehension of God. And this current letter that's appended to 19 also ends with the same point, that only the aspect of Netzach, Chayd, and Yisayd, victory, glory, and foundation of the higher realm has the ability to descend down to emanate the lower realm. So what we're focusing on here is letters. And the Rebbe explains, the author of explains, that letters that are revealed to us exist in action, speech, and thought. Action means the visual form of the letters, how we see them. And the sight of them, each letter's shape, reflects the flow of the unique life force and spiritual energy of that letter. The shape is suggesting the form of the flow of light and energy. That's the action of the letter. The speech of the letter of course, is the sound. We have 22 different sounds that each letter is expressing a different sound, which the Rebbe says, in essence, you could say every language has to have all of these sounds because all languages have letters enunciation. So what's the difference with the holy tongue, with Lushna Kodesh? The combinations that sounds combined in a certain way form a letter in one language, and not a letter in another language. So those are letters of letters, the speech of letters. And what is the thought of letters? The thought of letters is that a person thinking the words and the letters of the language and its letters, which, again, in every language people can think these combination of sounds. So action is the physical sight. Speech is the speech, And thought is thinking it. Now, within thinking, there are three types of letters. There is action and thought, speech and thought, and thought and thought. Action and thought is when in your mind you picture the visual formation of the letter. Speech and thought is when you hear in your mind the sounds of the letters. Action and thought is... The low relates spiritually to the lowest world, the world of action, the world of Asiya. Speech and thought relates to the next higher world, the world of speech, of emotion, etc. And thought of thought, not thinking about what it looks like, not thinking about what it sounds like, just the letter itself is the thought of thought and relates spiritually to the second to highest spiritual world, the world of creation, the world of Bria. Now, for one to actually speak, this is coming from the life force of thinking about those letters. Now, obviously, sometimes we think of one thing and speak another, which would seemingly imply, sorry, which would seemingly imply that letters of speech do not receive their life force from the letters of thought. But the only reason we can do that is because we've thought these letters so many times. They're sort of engraved in our mind, and we can take that road on automatic when we're thinking something else. In other words, if you're making social small talk, oh, I love your scarf, and where did you get it? And, oh, that was such a great price for it, and you can say that while your mind is thinking something else, not because those letters exist independent of your thought of them, but because you've thought those words and those combination of words so many times, it's like on a certain level engraved in your brain, so you can be on two highways of thought simultaneously. But every time one speaks, you know, Freudian slip not with chanting, every time one speaks, you can only Speak those words because you have originally, or are at the moment, thinking them. Letters of speech get their energy from our thinking those letters of thoughts. And in terms of the divine attributes, the energy here is the outer levels of the lower emotional attributes, of Netzach chayid, and yisod, victory, glory, and foundation, that these energies can enter in, even though they're like the lower emotions of the higher realm, they descend to actually become the intellect, the life force of the lower realm. The lower of the higher is going to descend to become the higher of the lower. So these, divided in this way, sovereignty, malchus, we're, not viewing as an emotion, which can go in either direction. So we're looking here at the lower three emotions from our six emotions, not intellect and not the three higher emotions, but these lower three emotions have the ability to descend through the creative energy of sovereignty, of Mahos, and they become, in the next world, the intellect of the next world, because compared to the next world, their source is so much higher. And that is the Tanya for Sunday. And now we're beginning Letter 20, which is the Tanya for Monday. Letter 20 is a very deep and, in a sense, profound and abstract principle of Hasidic thought, which, of course, like everything else in Hasidic thought, has much practical application. What we're going to learn in this letter, bottom line, is that Only God himself can create physicality. Everything else in all of the creations, where we have myriads and myriads of worlds of spirituality, of spiritual energy, a higher spirituality creates a lower spirituality, like we were just saying. The energy of Haid and Yisait, victory, glory, and foundation, descend to become the higher energies of the next spiritual plane. And then the lower energies of that spiritual plane will descend to become the higher energies of the next lower spiritual plane. And so it can continue infinitely. But however low you get with spirituality, it's never going to create physicality. It's too much of a quantum leap between the two. So what creates physicality? God himself. Where's the practical application in this? The practical application is when we do commandments with the physical, I am taking a physical piece of food and making a blessing. I'm taking a physical piece of food and making it kosher. I'm taking a physical coin and giving it to charity. Beyond everything that has already been explained in Tanya about the significance of the physical and the significance of doing action commandments and how we transform this world to God's home, specifically through actions, but this adds another whole significant layer to why it's so important to do the physical commandments and their special advantage. Because specifically, the most physical thing has God in it in a way that a higher spiritual reality doesn't. So what we're going to learn is a very deep philosophical concept, but the practical application is the importance of the physical items involved in our commandments because in them uniquely God has invested like in nothing else, like beyond any angel, like beyond any spiritual world. And therefore, when I serve God through them, the enormity of the power I'm releasing. So, the letter begins that in the Zohar it explains that God And his life-giving emanations are one. The lights of the divine attributes are like the souls that animate the vessels of the divine attributes. So normally, we don't think of these as one with God. We think of these as connected to God, as godly, as godliness. But this piece of Zohar is saying that the lights are one with God. It also says that he and his causations, causations meaning the vessels, the vessels which emanate from God and which are like the bodies to the souls, the lights, they're also one with God. So we are saying here something very radical. We are saying that in the highest spiritual world, this is talking about the spiritual world of Atsilas, the highest of the four spiritual worlds connected to our physical world, we are saying in that spiritual world where there are lights and vessels, like in every spiritual world there are lights and vessels, and we are calling those lights and vessels divine attributes. The Kabbalistic term for them is the spheres. So every Sphera, every divine attribute is a divine light in a constriction of light that we're calling a divine vessel. And in the world of Atsilas, the lights and the vessels, we are told, are one with God. Now, we don't think of these divine attributes as God. We think of this as godliness, as something that comes from God. But here we're saying they're one with God. Now, in the lower world, the next three worlds, of Briya, Yetzirah, and Asiya, of creation, formation, and action, we know they're not. Which, of course, makes sense to us. We wouldn't think of them as being God, one with God himself. But what does this mean? That in the highest world, the world of Atsilus, which is so high that the word Atsilus means next to God, or another way of understanding it is evolving directly from God. So how could the infinity of God and these vessels, be one. In other words, the divine attribute is, by definition, limited and finite. And God is, by definition, infinite. So how can the infinity of God be one with a godliness that's finite? So, to understand this a little bit, if we, just a little philosophy here, if we say, well, God's limitless, so he can't be one with something finite, then actually we're making God so not, we're actually making God, in a sense, finite. We're limiting him. We're saying, oh, well, God's limitless. He can't be finite. So if he can't be finite, then he's not truly perfect and, in a sense, so to speak, infinite. He's not truly comprehensive of everything because there are things he can't do. He can't be finite. He could create something finite, but he can't be finite. So that in itself will be putting a limit on God, which would mean that it has to work. Somehow, and I'll going to explain this in a second, how for God in his perfection to be able to contain all, he also has, the ability, has to have the ability to be within finite, the same way he is in what we call it his natural state, which is infinite. But what does it mean specifically? specifically in this perspective. So obviously we're understanding that these attributes are not created the way everything else is created, because if they're created, they're not one with God, they're creation. But what does it mean precisely that they are one with God? So the Rebbe explains, Alter explains, that what this means, this Kabbalistic statement means that they are one with God with regard to to their ability to create something from nothing, which only God can do. Only God can create. Creation is God's ability. Our sages say if all the world's inhabitants were to assemble, they can't create the wing of a gnat and fill it with soul. They can't create anything. The divine attributes of the world of Atsilus through them something is created out of nothing. So from this perspective, they are divinity. So was all the rest of creation. What's happening in the lower three spiritual worlds of Asiya? What's happening there is an evolution from cause to effect, what we call spiritually Kabbalistically, ila to alul. They're links in a progression wherein the effect evolves from a cause. But, when we're looking at these divine attributes of Atsilus, we're not talking about cause and effect. We're talking about creation. So, what's the difference? What does this mean between the divine attributes of Bria evolving through cause and effect, and the divine attributes of Atsilus that are creating something from nothing and not in a cause and effect relationship. So when we're looking at the divine attributes to understand this, the inner dimension of the divine attributes are beyond understanding. As we spoke in the previous letter, how Moses wanted to see the face of God, the face of God meaning God's inner self, and he was told he couldn't. Right? We said Moses only got to the lower levels of Malchus, victory, glory, foundation, sovereignty, as we explained in the, in the previous letter. When we're taking normative creation of spirituality from level to level, the creation is descending in this concept of cause and effect. What do we mean here by cause and effect? What we mean by cause and effect is that the higher energy evolves into a lower energy from the cause the effect. The effect now has its own distinct identity. And it isn't now part of its origin. It's it's non-existent in relationship to its origin because its origin has a higher godly energy. And yet it still has a link to it. Because when you look at the effect, you can see in it the cause. That's why we call it cause and effect. So if you would take, for example, the animals, and you would start off with the spiritual source of them, which is the face of the ox in the celestial chariot. And from this face of the ox in the celestial chariot, it evolves and evolves and evolves, and it keeps on evolving. Evolving meaning lower and lower and lower godly energy. And it could get low enough to actually be the soul of an animal that might live on planet Earth but it could never evolve into the body of that animal. Because every evolution links back to its origin. Every evolution is an extension of the origin. So if something is evolved that no way was in the origin, it's not an evolution. That's a creation. That's a totally different concept. An evolution has to be found within the origin. So we would need to be able to see the link. The link should be very, very, very clear. So when we're looking at evolution of spirituality, because spirituality evolves and evolves and evolves and evolves, what we see is on each progressive level, lesser and lesser godly energies revealed, but each new evolution we can trace back to its origin and going higher and higher in its origin. Because that's the idea of cause and effect. That the effect is embedded initially within the cause. And the cause, if you pull out its, you know, if you squeeze it out, you're going to find that effect. The two have a very clear relationship. What does it mean, creation? Because we said, if you remember, that only in the spiritual world of Atsilos, the divine attributes actually create not evolve, they're not just calling it evolution, as is the rest of all spirituality, like in the lower three worlds, but there's actually creation here. So what does it mean by creation? So we explain that in cause and effect, the effect, so to speak, existed previously in a different state, in the cause. Creation means bringing something into existence that until now did not exist. If the existence can be found in its source, it's not creation. It's cause and effect. That's why cause and effect, we say there's a cause and there's an effect. Creation, we say, the Hebrew term for it is uh, ayin, which produces a yesh. Ayin means a nothingness. And yesh means a something, created substance. So as a created substance, we can see in its origin point... The origin point isn't nothing. The origin point is also created substance. So again, in terms of normative spiritual evolution, it's from cause to effect, and then the effect in turn becomes the cause for the next effect, which in turn becomes a cause for the next effect. And what we're talking about here is the gradual diminishment, 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 diminishment of spiritual energies. But it all stays purely spiritual because it all feeds back into its origin source and nothing can be evolved that wasn't in the original source and there's nothing physical in spirituality. So you just get lower lower and lower and lower and lower and lower spirituality and that's all you can ever get because you can only get what's in the origin point because it's cause and effect. Creation something from nothing implies that there's no relationship between the something and the nothing. That's why we call it nothing. Now, a person can question this. Creation, created substance, that something obviously is completely nullified to God. Everything is nullified to God. So we're saying creation, which is defined as a something-from-nothing relationship, can't result from cause and effect because the effect... The creation, the age, the created substance, will be nullified in its source. But in any event, isn't everything nullified in its source? Isn't everything ultimately nullified before God, which is the ultimate source of everything? So the Rebbe answers this by saying, yes, of course, from God's perspective. From God's perspective, everything is nullified before Him. Before God, everything is nullified. Nothing does exist before God. But from creation's perspective, there's a very big difference. A creation, uh, something from nothing creation, knows or feels that it's an independent existence. That's, of course, false. But that's its perspective. When can you feel you're an independent existence? If you're created as a something from what you view as a nothing. If your experience is you're a cause and effect reality, you're the effect of a higher cause, you don't view yourself as independent. You feel your source. And the fact that you feel your source means your existence automatically is nullification. When you feel your source, which we don't, but if you're a spiritual entity, you would. When you feel your source, ultimately, in a sense, what, what are you feeling? Well, your source, and your source is source, and your source is source, and your source is source. So ultimately, all goes back to God. So you ultimately feel how your existence is the manifestation of God. So you feel nullified to God as your source of existence. So everything in the spiritual reality exists in a state of nullification. Because it feels its source, it's just an effect of the cause of its source, and as such it feels ultimately the origin of that source, which ultimately goes back to God. So it's always feeling itself as a manifestation of God, so it's always nullified to God. But when we're talking about creation, that's something from nothing, the something doesn't feel the nothing, that's why we're calling it nothing. It it, it has no comprehension of it. So what does it feel as creating it? itself, and that's how it could have this false self-identity and self-awareness of independence, which means it doesn't start off innately nullified to God at all. That, of course, is the challenge of our existence. Now, we're continuing with Tuesday's portion of Tanya, the second day of Rosh Hashanah. So the Rebbe explains this. That all of these creations that are something from nothing, of course, are completely non-existent from God's perspective. From his perspective, all of the energies are completely nullified. But from the earthbound perspective, from the perspective of creative beings, this something is completely separate from its source and has no apprehension of it at all. As the River is going to explain, it doesn't mean that the thing that's created feels I created myself. I mean, there might be some perspectives of that as well, but we don't have to say that. When we say something is created, something from nothing, like a rock or like a human being, it doesn't mean we have to think we create ourselves. Why are we calling ourselves then something from nothing? What do we mean by nothing? So the Alt-Trip explains there are two things we mean by viewing our source as nothing. One, nothing implies incomprehensible. A created being is incapable of comprehending its source. When we're calling our source nothing, it means this thing doesn't exist in my range of comprehension. The second level of explanation, and both work, both are happening at the same time, Nothing means existing completely differently. The source of anything in the something-from-nothing reality, its source is so different, so beyond the pattern of existence that's normative to this creation, that this creation is calling its source non-existent, nothing. Not meaning you don't exist, but meaning you don't exist within my earthbound frame of reference of existence. So because of these two factors, creation, the something from nothing, is calling its source nothing because I can't comprehend it at all, and because it's existing in a completely different reality. So there's no similarity, as versus in our cause and effect situations, there's no similarity between the creation and between its source, between the creator. For example, if intellect created a rock, the rock's existence is so distant, is so different from its source. Well, from the perspective of that rock, it doesn't make a difference if it was created by intellect or if it was created by nothing at all. Because intellect doesn't exist within a rock's mode of existence. As versus cause and effect, where the cause does exist in the comprehension of the effect, the later is impacted by the comprehension of its source. And that's why it can be nullified to it, because it has knowledge of it, it has apprehension of it. The effect understands its source. The effect understands the source as part of its own reality. So therefore, it's naturally, automatically nullified to the source. The something has no apprehension of that which created it. In other words, in cause and effect, the effect already did exist within the cause. That's why it's a cause and effect relationship. And that's why it's so easy for the effect to understand the cause, to feel the cause, and to be nullified to the cause. For example... Intellect and emotion are a cause-effect relationship. So essentially, emotion already exists in its source. There's the emotions within intellect, even before it exists as an independent, separate, distinct entity. Now, obviously, emotions within intellect are different than pure emotions, but in essence, they're the same. So when the intellect evolves to emotion and the Emotions with an intellect become separate, distinct emotions. They're not the same as they were within the intellect, but the relationship between the two is very strong, so the emotions still feel and understand the source, the intellect that they were produced from, and that's how they can be nullified to it automatically. But something from nothing are inherently, entirely different, and therefore the nothing doesn't exist at all as the something does. And that's why we call it something from nothing. Meaning the something is aware that it was created. It's aware that it's greater than God even. But that doesn't exist in this very limited world of the something's comprehension. And it definitely doesn't exist in the same manner. So what the Rebbe did here was explain in general terms Why, the creation of a something, of a substantial thing from spirituality, can only happen in a something from nothing creative process. It can't come from an evolution of cause and effect. So now that I was going to explain that the first stage of creation of something from nothing is the vessels of the worlds of Bria, Yitzir and Asiya. Now, of course, these are all divine attributes. These are all spirituality. And we, until now, seem to be implying that the something-from-nothing reality is physicality from godliness, or from God himself, as we're going to say. But still, the jumps from one spiritual plane... To the other, if it 's a big enough jump that there 's no way from your current reality, you can even comprehend the higher energies that created you well that's that 's the same concept of something from nothing, something from nothing means there 's no comprehension of your source so again, these attributes are spirituality, but they do have such an enormous jump that the origin point of each of these worlds is a something-from-nothing experience. So we could view these worlds as... The, we're talking here, we're looking at the worlds. Again, in every world, we have divine attributes. A divine attribute, each one of them, is a light, which is a more expressive spirituality, and a vessel, which is a more constricted spirituality. So the Rabbi says that all the vessels of these ten divine attributes in all of these three lower worlds, again, we're not talking about the highest world, of seals, we said that's different, but in these three lower worlds of Bria, and Nasea, creation, formation, action, and also the lower levels of the light in those vessels are the first stage of the beginning of a creation that we can call a thing, a something. Now, in every divine attribute, We said they're lights. The lights consist of three levels. Just as in our soul, we have the concept of nefesh, ruach, and neshama, going from lower to higher. So too, in each divine attribute, I mean, that's why we mirror God. So we have nefesh, ruach, and neshama because by God, in each divine attribute, there are these three levels of nefesh, ruach, and neshama. So, vehicle, the vessel, the Kalei, and the lower two of these three lights, that's within the vessel, Nefesh and Ruach, all three of these things comprise an element of thing, of something. The only part of this that's completely so close to God that we can't call it a thing is the highest of the three lights. Meaning, again, in each divine attribute, there's a vessel that contains in it light, And the light really subdivides into three lights. The highest of the three lights, the neshama of the three lights, we do not view as a thing. It's too godly. But the lower two lights, ruach and nefesh, and the vessel itself, an even more constricted light, those all have some element of thing. And they're all created, these vessels are created from the neshama light of that world, because the neshama light is like the godly energy of the world. So the godliness of the divine attributes is creating the substance of the vessels of that divine attribute, and it's even creating the lower two lights of that divine attribute. Now, where does this all come from? What's giving it the energy for everything? Sovereignty of the world of Atsilus. Malchus of the world of Atsilus. As we've already touched on the enormous powers of Malchus, of sovereignty, many, many times in these letters, sovereignty, Malchus, is God's power of creation. Atsilus, which is the highest world, is the world, as we began this letter by saying, of such godliness that it's considered God. That's what we call it atilus. We, I said before, atilus means either from the word, either its etymology is from next to God or from evolving from God. Like, not exactly godliness. Not exactly God, but not exactly godliness. So, in this highest world, even the external aspect of the vessels of sovereignty is godliness. And these Aspects, meaning the external aspect of the vessels of sovereignty, they become invested in these lower three worlds, and they become their souls. So in other words, in sovereignty of Atsilas, we have 30 vessels that descend. Ten are becoming the souls of the ten divine attributes of Priya of creation world, tend to even lower to become the souls of the divine attributes of Yetzirah, formation world, and tend to even lower to become the souls to become the divine energy of the attributes of the world of Asiya, of the world of action. Now, similarly, In this world of Atsilos itself, we can say that the emanated thing is deriving from the external aspect of the vessels of Atsilos. In other words, the external aspect of the vessels of Atsilos, which of course are godliness because we said all of the divine attributes in Atsilos, that was the initial point of this letter, All of the divine attributes of Atsilos, even the vessels of the divine attributes of Atsilos, are godliness. So that godliness creates the celestial chambers, what we call the hechalos of Atsilos. So the lights and the vessels of the divine attributes of Atsilos are godly. They're one with God. The chambers are a more external aspect, so they are created from these vessels of Atsilas. And this then, we have here the concept of energies that are circular. Circular meaning encompassing, meaning if an energy is invested within, it's what we call pnimi then that which it's animating would resemble it because the light got small enough to become close enough to this thing that it can animate it on the inside. But when we have energy that's encompassing energy, it's not getting inside it. That's why it's encompassing it. It's too big to get inside it. So what's created from it doesn't look like it. Ah, it doesn't look like it? Okay, this means we have not, cause and effect, and cause and effect. It looks like it, but we have a thing. We have a something from nothing reality. Similarly, the angels of this world, even of Atsilas. There are very few angels in Atsilas. But the bodies of the angels of Atsilas are also a thing creating from these external vessels of the divine attributes of Atsilos. Meaning, again, it's not cause and effect, it's not close enough that you can sense and be automatically nullified to your source. You're so different from your source because your source is the vessel of Atsilus, but that's one with God. And you're a creation. You're not an emanation. You're not an effect. You're separate. You're a creation. You're the body of an angel of the world of Atsilus. And that is as far as we're getting in this letter, which, of course, we will continue after Hashanah. Everyone should be written and inscribed for a good year in the most revealed ways, we understand the meaning of the word good. We should all together collectively merit the complete revelation of Mashiach definitely before we light the candles to bring in the holiday. Good yontif.